I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Mary Joy. Uh, Her new book is Codependent Discovery and Recovery uh, 2.0, A Holistic Approach to Healing and Freeing Yourself. Codependency is often misunderstood and under-addressed. Unhealthy, codependent habits are difficult to break and can significantly impair our ability to live authentic lives. But with the right tools, freedom from codependency is within reach. Mary Jo, who is a licensed mental health counselor and regular contributor to DailyOM.com, provides practical tools to help you get your life back with meditations, affirmations, a quick fix chapter in every two-column life lists that other opportunities for self-reflection, the book provides an invaluable self-help experience for readers. What makes this book unique is that the reader will explore the psychological roots of codependency along with the neuroscience, neuroscience, spiritual and financial facets of their codependency. More importantly, the book shows readers how to apply this knowledge to recover. Welcome to the show, Mary Jo. Nice to have you on. So nice to be here. Thank you, Catherine. Yes, now we've talked about codependency. We've been talking, I'm, as you know, I'm a counselor, a therapist, a social worker. Codependency has always been a big topic since I've been doing uh, counseling myself. Um, so your book, you say, it, it's unique or your approach is unique. Let's maybe start with a definition of codependency and then tie that into the uniqueness of your approach in terms of getting rid of the codependency. Well, in brief, in very brief sentence, codependency used to mean one thing, but now it most, it's been expanded and it means that you lose yourself while caring for others. I call it narcissism in reverse because narcissists are obsessed with themselves and codependents are obsessed with making other people happy. So they'll be happy. All right, Can, codependence are, is narcissism in reverse. So, in other words, you're so attached to another person and so concerned with that other person that you are overwhelmed with taking care of them, and so that makes one feel better by doing that. Or you know, what is it? It or does. Is, yeah. And I used I I'm a recovered one, so yes, you sort of lose yourself taking care of others. I'm just going to go through a brief overview of some of the symptoms so maybe your listeners will relate to them. Um, Some of the symptoms are people-pleasing, extreme people-pleasing, approval-seeking, such as, do you like me? Are you mad at me? They will also rescue people. They try to fix everything for everyone. They become overly responsible, perfectionistic. And then to, to another extreme, there is the ones who are, you know, they, they intervene. They know what's good for you. Here's what you should do. If I were you, this is what I would do. They just come in and give unsolicited advice and then sometimes get angry if people don't take it. So it's a, it's a constellation of symptoms, but it really is about losing yourself while caring about others because you're caring more about others than you are yourself. And I went to an addictions counselor because it's a lot like addiction. You do. You get dopamine when you help people. We, we all do. We, if you're not a sociopath or a narcissist, you do enjoy helping other people. But when your compassion turns to compulsion and you become exhausted, then you might be codependent. Hopefully that is a more broad overview. All right. So talk to us about in terms of let's 
specific case histories. Give us examples. Okay, that is the overview. Uh, and these are the symptoms. But can we put yes. a face on it? Case histories? Yeah. Yes, I'll, I'll, combine, um, I'll combine some case histories because, as you know, you're a social worker. We can't uh, divulge. But I do work with people, and I call it codependent crisis. I mean, they come in to me with how someone has affected their life, but all they're really concerned about is fixing the other person, not their response to the other person. Um, and because I was one, I know what that codependent crisis feels like. You, you come into a therapist and you say, my husband and or wife is, um, is drinking or is uh, committing a crime or has taken my home for me. That was my case. It's like my, my uh, uh, ex-husband. Ex-husband had taken a loan out on her house and didn't tell me and filed bankruptcy on the IRS and didn't tell me. So um, can I blame that totally on him? No, I had to change my response to it. So I help people that are coming in trying to fix other people which they cannot do if the other person doesn't want to be fixed to help them understand their part and their responsibility without taking all the responsibility of trying to fix someone to fix their responses and their reactivity to it. So are they playing the blame game? Taking your example, you gave yourself as a case history, your husband <laughs> taking out a loan on the house, not telling you about it. Oh yes. What did I you blamed do him at first. And then I, yes, I blamed him at first. And then I had to sit back and go, uh, I didn't check the mail. I wasn't checking the bank account. I didn't know. I should have been more aware. You just have to be more aware of, of what people may be doing around you. And, you know, pay attention. If people have given you a, uh, a good, well, another, like a case study, if people have been a case study for you and they have a pattern of behavior that has affected you negatively, pay attention to that. Don't keep overlooking it and forgiving it and forgetting it to the point of what uh, I love Barbara Oakley's work on this. She calls it pathological altruism, meaning you believe the best and the worst of people, or you believe the best and the worst of someone for you. Not everyone is a bad person, but they may be a bad person for you. So hopefully that sheds some light on the fact that you do have some responsibility. The codependents either take on all the responsibility or blame the other person's behavior for their feelings because your feelings about you will depend on how that other person treats you. Also not a healthy dynamic. It's just a loss of self in different ways. And this book helps One, people regain themselves. And it's very specific in terms of what you can do uh, in, ter in terms yes. of regaining yourself. Yes, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, very, um, I guess I'd call them like, uh, there's one chapter that quick fix chapter uh, you can uh, uh, in terms of fixing yourself up but one of the things you talk about is that your book is you is unique because you talk about the financial facets of codependency tell us what that is yes and we just briefly touched on it before I noticed that when people are in codependent crisis there's two major uh, categories of those now you can vacillate in between these there's you know there's there's spectrums and then there's balance, and we all know about the bell curve. But the two extremes I see of financial abuse in codependent relationships are the doormat kind of codependent who has no money, whose you know, husband or wife doesn't want them to work. They're totally controlled, and they can't leave. They are stuck in that relationship because they don't have the financial means to exit it. The other extreme is when the codependent has 
finances and money and constantly is giving it away. They, as soon as they make it, they give it away to help someone or they, um, they become the credit card. They become, as one of my clients did say and has given me permission to talk about it, I was the family ATM machine. And every time the phone rings, I get sick because I know when that person is on the phone, he has several people that do that. When that person is on the phone, I know it's just going to be about money. Even if it isn't that phone call, two or three later, it will be. They'll just want money from me. And it's very exhausting because they use the people who get money from you use guilt, fear. Uh, they use fear. If you don't have money, you know, you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything, or you may be doing all the giving. So I have been both sides of that and everything in between, and balance is key. And there aren't many things written about financial abuse in, in codependency. I think it is what makes this work unique. I don't think people realize the huge component of finances because nearly every battered woman, and I mean nearly every one, uh, is staying in those relationships because they financially can't develop an exit strategy. They have no means to do that, to exit. I think that's true. Uh, that's that uh, the financial aspect of codependency. Uh, uh, that's why I, I, I wanted to point this out because uh, we really don't. It's it's not in the literature. You know, we we don't talk about that uh, from both ends. The one who's giving, the one who's taking. But balance is the key issue. So how do we achieve? How do we achieve this balance? I mean, um, we seem to be kind of an all or nothing society, even in our communities. <laughs> Let you know, and that yes, obviously. Yeah, it carries over to the individual. It's it's all or nothing, but there's nothing in the middle. There's that balance is missing in our lives. Um, so yes, Kat, Catherine, I, I'm yeah. so great. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that go ahead. That's uh, yeah. I'm so grateful that you brought up this chapter. Not many people do bring up this chapter the most because it is the one I vehemently defend is one of the most important chapters because when someone comes to me in codependent crisis, particularly battered woman, I, I live in a state where if you call 911 and your husband has abused your children or your wife has, it's usually a male, but it, there can be females. If you call 911 and your children were in the house, they may charge the victim with child endangerment and you may have your children taken away. Do you see how important it is to have the financial means to exit? It, it's just absolutely crucial to your well-being. And I, I know that sounds incredible that I live in a state like that, but I do. And often when those women come to me for help to get their children back or to be signed off as a, you know, quote-unquote fit parent, when really it's the other person who victimized them, um, I, the, I usually have 12 sessions that they're allotted. And those last three sessions are all about money, money, and money. And I teach them to learn about divesting of people that are unhealthy for them and invest in themselves, not just financially, but I help them with career counseling to educate themselves about why money is so important. And I have a question that I ask before I ever go to those money, uh, the, the money assignments, you know, the homework that we give as, as um, social workers and counselors. I ask them one question, and I do it on purpose. I say, if I put $2 million in your lap, would you stay with this person? The answer is almost always, well, no. And the severe codependent will say, I'd give half to him, and I would take the other half and then go, because they're still in that giving to him mode, just to get him off my back mode. 
but I do know that when I just tell them that you have unlimited resources in front of you, what would you do with it? They almost all say, I would leave immediately. I wouldn't stay at all. And then when that fails, I ask them to become the therapist, and I am telling them their story. I might change a few, you know, a few um, details around. But I ask them, if, if you... If you're my therapist, what would you tell this person? And I relate their story back to them in a way that they can comprehend it. Always, they say, I've never had it fail. They would say, I, why, I would leave that person. Why am I staying with this person? Yeah. And because they are a better therapist for someone else than they are themselves. I am accessing their ability to lose themselves in another person's story while really helping themselves in the process. I'm accessing an ability that's already innate to them. They want to help people more than themselves. And then in doing so, they're hearing their own answer. And Eureka, we like, it's the epiphany moment in therapy when they start moving from that poverty. And I mean, poverty of spirit mentality into, I can be financially independent, emotionally independent, and they'll have to go through some withdrawal symptoms of missing someone they thought they had through that trauma bond. It feels like love, but it's just a trauma bond. And then they start breaking the sinews of that. And oftentimes, financial means is the catalyst to the exit strategy. It is the number one thing to do when we develop exit strategies. It's money, money, and money, and then you can leave with a clear head. So where does this come from? I mean, where, you know, how do you develop these codependent, the psychological codependency, where do, where do they, where do your clients come from psychologically? How are they raised? So often, yes, so, so often psychologically, I mean, biologically you can be born with a lot of extra empathy and there are many highly sensitive people, empaths, whatever term you want to use. Uh, Carl Jung called them introverted intuitives, whatever term you want to apply to it. There's just people born with extra empathy for others. So they kind of blur the lines between their feelings and the feelings of others. So they're trying to, to meet the needs of others. That, that's innate. But psychologically, your family can teach you this, that the, it's more blessed to give than to receive family who leave out the part where you have to receive in order to give, or the family who does teach you altruism, and we need to help everyone with everything. Um, they, they Also, there's some spiritual roots to it. You know, it's what, just what we talked about, the more blessed to give than to receive. A lot of different faiths and religions believe giving is honorable and you're supposed to be so humble about receiving, but still, how can you give if you don't receive? So the roots are based in that. Also, if you have an alcoholic parent or a dysfunctional parent or a parent who makes you feel unworthy, you're constantly trying to subconsciously seek the approval of that parent and you carry that insecure attachment into adulthood. And then your relationships get very skewed that you either have to do all the doing or be the one to make everything work and fix it. Like I was the family clown and the, you know, I was the family make everybody happy. And I became a performer before I was a therapist as a result of it. So, and they call it giving a performance. I used to be a song. And we just give, you know, you see performers give. Uh, performers give more benefit performances than most people do. I mean, you don't see a lot of accountants out there giving their tax services away if there's a a cause to be had, but you certainly see a lot of performers and actors and celebrities giving and giving and giving of their time. And I think the most important one, and I think I mentioned in my book, 
I, I loved it when Sally Field, it, it touched a nerve with me when I saw it because I wasn't a therapist yet. I was still in the entertainment industry in Nashville. And she got the Oscar and she said, oh, this means you like me. You really, really like me. I thought, wow, it took an Oscar for her to know we all cherish her. But that, that statue in her hand, and many years later, she said she had to learn to love herself a little more and to accept herself. But, wow, I mean, that is, those, those are the roots of it. And, and she had a difficult father. She's been open about that. I had very difficult parents to navigate, um, and, I, you know, it was awful. So those are where the roots came from in my childhood, and I had to learn to navigate that. And I didn't do it so well until I went to graduate school and discovered there were names for this. And sadly, before we go on anymore, codependency to anyone out there, it's not a formal diagnosis yet. They have not found a way to label incredibly compassionate, loving, giving, fixing, rescuing people into a disorder. But it can certainly make you feel disordered. They do have burnout as a disorder. So I think that if that describes you, if you've given out to you burnout, that is definitely a sign of a codependent behavior. So why do you think that is? Uh, that's an interesting point, that, that it's not considered, there isn't a, really a diagnosis, an official diagnosis of codependency. Well, I have two theories. <laughs> one of them, one of them, I, oh, you know, don't shoot the messenger. It isn't, it isn't yeah. you, I'm just saying. Anyone out there that's listening, don't shoot the messenger. In yeah. other countries and other societies, they actually give a stipend to the family caregivers when a family member is ill. Like if you have an elder parent or a child that you have to take care of, the uh-huh. government will subsidize. I'm not saying the government needs to. I'm just saying that, that is, that's, a, um, that's an honorable thing to do. And they understand you have to come and uh-huh. go from your job if you have an elder parent or a sick child. But in our society, nope, you have to hire people to do that. And um, I think we're just more driven like that. My other theory is, and it would definitely have been the way I approached it, was that codependents always say, I'm fine, I don't need help. They have very difficult time asking for help. When I went to ask for help, I, like I said, I went to an addiction specialist because codependency is a lot like addiction because you're getting dopamine when you help people and serotonin and you feel so good and you feel joy when you give, which is a wonderful thing. But if no one's giving to you, then you start to feel resentful or depleted. I know sometimes it would be June or July before I could pay off the Christmas gifts I gave to my parents. You know, it was very, that that was exhausting. So the doctor, the very good doctor told me, he said, your, your brain is getting dopamine from doing that. You have a high tolerance for bad behavior and you're trying to please people. It's a form of fawning. You know, there's fight, flight, frozen, and sometimes fawning. You're trying to get people who never cared for you who were supposed to care for you, to care for you, and they don't. And in doing so, you're just creating this cycle where you're just giving to you give out, and you're trying to get people to love you who, who lack the capacity to love. I'm not blaming the people who didn't love me. They just were narcissistic. Uh, one was sociopathic. You know, you're trying to gain the affection of people who just can't give it because you're raised in this family unit, and we're all taught, to keep that family together and, you know, be the good girl or be the responsible one. And uh, so that was how it was explained to me, that dynamic. This is why I don't think it's a formal diagnosis, because we haven't really found a way to categorize 
That is why I do love Barbara Oakley's version of pathological altruism. Uh, amazing work, because I think that would actually be a better diagnosis. Someone who's too good for their own good, that might be a better diagnosis. I think another thing is, and we only have a few minutes left, but I think the people who uh, who maybe suffer from codependency go into the fields of social workers, psychiatrists, doctors, you know, helping professions. So, um, oh yes, well, there's I mean, a whole yeah. section in my book about yeah. covert codependence, and yes. doctors, nurses, and therapists are in there. And I know it's it, it's a good place because if our time is up, it's a good place to end. When yes. I began my internships, and I know you know what those are, Catherine, they're, yes. you're, it's daunting to go from a textbook to a counseling room. Right. <laughs> it's exactly. daunting. And when I had a supervisor for my university, she was a neuropsychologist, the daughter of an alcoholic. She looked straight in my eyes, called me in after class and said, you're codependent. And they're going to eat you alive in that drug and alcohol rehab. That's my job, to help you not be codependent. And I said, well, what's that? I honestly did not know. And then she said, well, I'll explain that to you, but they're just going to eat you alive. And I should know it takes one to know one. And I'm going to help you do that. So uh, I told her I was just being nice. And she said, no, no, that's not just being nice. You have no boundaries. And she said that I need to hear about some of your family dynamic. And she helped me in a very instrumental initial way to unravel the frayed ends of my codependency. And in doing so, I kind of went on a quest and she was right. They ate me alive. I had to learn. It was a learning process. But in, in doing so, I learned how to be more balanced and that I could hold space for someone without them taking up my life doing it, that I could give them my undivided attention for that time I was there and then take respites for myself and learn to self-care. And self-care is the number one treatment for codependency. Yep. And you will feel guilty at first. You'll feel anxious at first, but do it anyway. Do it anyway. Self-care. Uh, so important. And uh, so important to get your book, too. Codependent Discovery and Recovery uh, 2.0, A Holistic Approach to Healing and Freeing Yourself. And we've been talking to the author, Mary Jo Joy. Um, website we can go to to purchase the book and get more information about you. We have a minute left. Well, you can go direct to the publisher at hcibooks.com or anywhere books are sold, in stores, Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble, Indie, Wham, Books a Million, any place books are sold. It's available August 31st and any time after 2021, and I welcome everyone to do it. It truly is a self-help. You'll be writing your own list for your own self-help at the end of each chapter that build on each other, and I hope it serves many, many people. And thank you, Catherine, Love for it. allowing me to share and, it. Well, thank you. Um, thank you. Um, you've helped a lot of people and the book will continue to do that. And, and we thank you for that. Mary Jo, Joy. I keep saying Mary Jo, Mary Joy. Thank you. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you, Catherine. Okay. Yep. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 